Hey everyone, it's Chris, you know, from uh, The Thing, that podcast, uh, Connor's Basement, that's it. Uh, So this is a podcast dedicated to the analysis of the music of Bright Eyes and Connor Oberst. If that sounds interesting to you, or you enjoy discussions about music in general, stick around for this episode and maybe you'll gain a newfound appreciation for the band. Today, we're going to be looking into Letting Off the Happiness, released in 1998 by Bright Eyes. Before we begin, we'd like to extend our thanks to everybody who has shown us support over the past week since we posted the podcast. We've been absolutely floored uh, that we've received so much positivity uh, and just kind of posting this passion project out there on the internet. So just thank you to everybody who's listened, everybody who's commented, followed, shared, etc. But an extra special thank you to some of our first patrons, Goldie, and, well, Mom. Please feel no obligation, but if you want to hear your name read at the beginning of each of our podcasts, consider going to connorsbasement.com, clicking the little Support Us tab, and donating to our Patreon. The $5 tier will hear their names read at the beginning of every episode, and the $3 tier at the end of every episode. Besides that, check us out on Instagram and Twitter, at connorsbasement, and stick around for this fantastic episode. All right, welcome everyone to another edition of what I think people are calling the greatest podcast on planet Earth. I haven't checked my sources on it, but it seems correct. Uh, Well, if you aren't aware, congratulations to you. This is Connor's Basement, a podcast where we'll be discussing the illustrious career and discography of none other than Connor Oberst through his various bands and solo projects. My name is Chris, and the other voice you'll be listening to is... This is Jesse. Welcome welcome to the basement, basement dwellers. If you took the time to read the Wikipedia article that we created, yes, we are indeed the greatest podcast <laughs> that has ever graced this beautiful little marble that we call Earth. And now I think we can use that as a source, right? Because we said it's the greatest, that's officially a source, yeah, exactly. I mean, as long as we just keep using different machines with different IP addresses and we just, you know, you know, muddy the water enough, we can really just rewrite history. Oh, as many people have said before, Twitter, do your thing, you know, make us famous. Yeah, <laughs> I'm we're I'm totally willing to let all you basement dwellers do the work for us so that mm-hmm. we don't have to do anything. I, I mean, that just sounds like the perfect capitalist society, right? You just create something and then everyone else does the work and then you just get rich. Oh, without a doubt. This I, is now I, a political podcast. We're gonna, So, you know, guys, I just want to talk about the labor theory of value. You know, that's uh, that's for our spinoff podcast. <laughs> 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 but today we're here to talk about a special album called Letting Off the Happiness. I mean, this is the first time we're going to be talking about an album in full. You know, we, we've talked about the four singles and kind of the lead up to Down in the Weeds, but we're, we're, we're going in. We're going to go for a deep dive into what I consider, whether correct or otherwise, to be the first Bright Eyes record, because technically, you know, it, it is predated by collection of songs. Yeah, I think this is the, uh, to be to be a little mean, like, this is the first, like, listenable <laughs> album. Like, that's that sounds really mean. And I know we've definitely gone to, to concerts where somebody's requested a song from the audience, and it, he's like, 
I don't even remember. Like, why do you still remember yeah. that? Like, even he's trying to distance himself from his past. Yeah. So I don't think I'm that mean by saying that this is the first one that it feels like it's an album. Right. And not like, it's like, this is his first film. And a collection of songs is like the home movies he made before he became a director. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think too, maybe like some of the distinction could come like, there was what I believe to be like a, a clear vision and a theme mm-hmm. coming out on this album, whereas collection of songs, I think literally is that, is that yeah. you know, he was recording these songs when he was 15 to 17 and just kind of like put all these things together and, and release them. This has a, has a clear kind of idea of like where it wants to go. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about theme uh, in just a, a second, but just some info for you guys. Cause I, I find this stuff really interesting. So, uh, it did. It came out in in ninety eight. Uh, so Connor would have been like eighteen at the time. So most of these songs come come from that. You can see like some of them recorded in ninety seven, ninety eight. We have stuff like in um, you know. So it's it's seven. So it's it's five hours in nineteen ninety eight. Right, right. But so this one, uh, this album, of course, it always. I, I don't even know. Maybe the mic just picked up my beautiful turning of the page on the on the album insert. But it features like. Oh, as always, a large cast of Connor's friends and collaborators, which, you know, I could talk, oh, it was this person, that person. But I think the important one is that it included Mike Mogus, of course, the two who would ultimately end up becoming Bright Eyes, along with Nate, who who comes later down the road. And so I think that that is also very special that you can see Mike's influence already um, very early on, even says on this insert, like the album would have been a lot shittier uh, without him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, uh, sadly I don't, um, I don't have the, the vinyl with me, but I do remember like there were some lines about how, like uh, I think it was in pull my hair where like, it's like, ah, oh, thanks for the, the drum work, but it was really shitty and we had, to, oh, we had yeah. to dub over it or like something to that extent. My dear baby boy, Ted Stevens, played <laughs> floppy drums. They sounded good at the time. <laughs> and hey, a little inspiration, a little little lore for where the name of this podcast, the, uh, where it comes from, it mentions very explicitly many of these songs were recorded in Connor's basement. Right, right uh, here, so, where we have our right here. bags laid out and we're, we're trying yeah. to like work very hard with Nebraska lawyers so that we can continue our squatters rights here. Right here. And let me tell you guys, this piece of land, it's going for so cheap right now. Call up your friends, PayPal us money, and we will sell you Connor's basement. We will take um, a cheese grater and we will we will scrape up some some old wooden floorboard, put it in a little dime baggie and send it to you and you can just huff up that Mm, like you building up the mildewy dust where some teenagers once <laughs> played music. <Ugh. laughs> okay, on second thought, I don't, I don't think, I don't think I want that anymore. Cut that, Chris. <laughs> Cut, Cut that. that. <laughs> Get it out of here. Get it out of here. Get him out of here. Uh, Go home, Chris. You're drunk. So, what do you think? What do you think the title uh, of this means? I have, I have my own thoughts, but I wanted to pitch that question to you first. Like, so letting off the happiness. I realized when I was writing notes, like I never really thought about that. Yeah, I mean, I until you had sort of brought that question to my attention, I hadn't really thought about it either. I actually, I want you to go first because I think yours is going to be way more interesting than mine. Uh, because <laughs> because frankly, mine is kind of a tie-in with the with the 
album art, which I think we have okay. feelings about. Right. And yeah, I, I preloaded mine. I kind of put you on the spot. So it's only fair that I go first. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I'm wondering if maybe it's the equivalent of letting go. So like, you know, oh, we're letting you off on a, with a warning, that kind of thing. So maybe maybe Connor is kind of resigned to believing that maybe happiness isn't possible um, so he's literally like letting it off. Like I'm, you're no longer beholden to worry about me to to have to be in my life. I'm just gonna let it go because I I know happiness isn't attainable. And it's a very sad kind of reading of it, but that's kind of the when I thought about it, the first thing that I I kind of thought about. And I I totally agree with that as an interpretation, especially considering the uh, the content of the album. Right. I'm going to say though that my interpretation of it, it's going to sound like I'm contradicting you, but I feel like these two ideas work together. Mm-hmm. And then I think that much like how the the album art is of like fireworks going off. I'm going to say letting off the happiness is like letting it off as far as like how you let off a firework or you let okay. off some like like blow off steam, something right. like that where there's almost this like, yeah, run wild, let your happiness off, let it go, let it be free. And I think that uh, as we talk, we're going to, as we transition into themes and such, we'll go over this more, but I think like those two ideas, they seem contradictory, but the album flips between both of those ideas. So I think both of our interpretations work really well together. Yeah. I, I, I do also really enjoy the fireworks cover as well. I'm pretty sure Zach Nipper, who's done the album artwork for pretty much every Bright Eyes release, I'm pretty sure uh, this is his doing. It's technically the second one. There is an original version, which is similar in like thematically, like it's just like loud shapes Mm. is the best way I could describe it. Um, But the the fireworks really kind of uh, kind of fit. It's like kind of a representation, like kind of like I said, there are these fleeting moments and feelings, you know, they set off and they burst, you watch the spectacle, just like what you said, you know, you you just live your life, uh, teenager, teenage years are really like fireworks of these (laughs) little moments that light off and they burst and they burn really bright and they're short. And actually, um, one thing that I had noticed when looking at the album insert is at the bottom of all the lyrics in the tiniest font possible, it says, However brief, it was beautiful. And I think that that just goes and plays perfectly into that idea of fireworks because they don't burn long, but damn, do they burn bright and they're really, really loud. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's actually a really uh, great description of teenage years. Yeah. Bright, loud, and it's not forever. And realistically speaking, relative to to the rest of your life it's like kind of a blip on the radar mm-hmm. but in that moment seems like an eternity oh, only god. for it just to like fade away oh god did it feel like an eternity huh <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of uh feeling like an eternity uh so shall we talk about the the themes or like the general story that's being told throughout this album yeah sure uh you want to kick it off yeah yeah because uh i've got my general understanding and i'm gonna be i think like a little more i try to see stories and arcs in everything because that's just how my brain works yeah so the story that i see in this album is starting from i'm gonna say the like after christmas new year's time 
in a high schooler's life to summertime. And it's a flip-flop between the, the cold of winter and the heat of summer and the highs and lows that are in that time of a young person's life. And so you've got like big parties, big emotions, but then also like the real deep lows that follow any sort of high that happens during that time period. Just lots of teenage angst, but also lots of, you know, all of those endorphins and those big emotions as as the fireworks represent. I definitely like that reading of it being kind of literally period of time because, you know, everything we just talked about, teenage years, short period of time, everything like that. So just having the album be a concept of however many months, because, you know, like I said, they, they literally do say, It's seven, so it's five hours to 1998. Like they decided to put in the album a relic to say, this is when this was. You know, they wanted to remind you of that. So I think that's a really interesting sort of way to to think about it. Just really quick. So for my theme, I want to preface it by saying like, obviously a lot of what I'm going to say and true for you too, or I mean, you can disagree with me. And I think obviously true for, for Connor is like a lot of these are from a very you know, white American point of view. So in terms of like, when I say, oh, a universal theme, I understand, you know, universality is subjective in a certain way, which (laughs) sounds like a very, or, you know, so it it may not completely resonate with all people. But, you know, I I think a lot of it comes from being that, that nature of being a teenager, you know, those confused feelings, love versus pain, nihilism and hope and desire, you know, how do you fight the, the feelings of hope and the feelings of, of desire with a sort of nihilistic tendency that, um, well, nothing really matters. I don't really care about anything. How do you find the middle ground between two things that you feel can't actually exist with each other? So, you know, you have some tracks that focus on that kind of perfect life, spending eternity with a true love, and it's juxtaposed with that reality of broken hearts and regret and I mean, regretful sex and things like that, that, that come up on, on the album. So thematically, you know, I, I think we do agree about it is those teenage years. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally agree a hundred percent with like this. I think the, the, all of those emotions and those themes that you brought up are very universal to youth. And then slowly we're getting more specific to this feels more geared towards somebody who is not or at least kind of wants to be that kind of kid or that kind of teenager and just doesn't fit the mold mm-hmm. and is struggling with like, I should be having fun at this party, but this kind of blows. <laughs> right? Yeah, like there yeah, are some yeah. people who are going to listen to this and be like, no, I like high school was my glory days and I loved all the parties I went to and uh I you know, I don't regret anything that I did, which is fine, but like this is definitely for the I'm going out to this party because, you know, there's a girl there I like, but honestly, I can't stand this and I'm slowly starting to not stand her either. And like these all these things just kind of fall apart. And then to get even more specific, like you said, this is very much teenage nightmare in white suburbia. Like, right, yeah. I think where, you know, not to not to give too much away, but that's kind of where we came from. As diverse as our school was, mm-hmm. we still grew up in a suburb. We were still surrounded by the suburbs. You know, beer pong in a basement might be foreign to a lot of people. It was not foreign to us. Exactly. 
Yeah, I, I think there's so much he kind of unpacks in this. This is why this album speaks to me as being bright eyes. You know, this this album is what bright eyes is for me because mm-hmm. I love all the thoughtful planning and beautiful, beautiful composition of the later albums. But that like raw emotion that like, oh, you you get it. You know how I feel. That's what keeps me coming back for this album and all the subsequent ones is that, and this is like, distilled raw emotion uh where you know it's it's loud and it's you can't drink too much of it (laughs) (laughs) you know you have to take measured doses because of just how powerful and there are songs that we'll get to later that really do awaken that in me yeah absolutely and uh, i believe i've mentioned in an earlier episode that this is not my first experience with bright eyes But Mm -hmm. coming to it like a little later, maybe like the end of my high school career, like junior or senior year, it was like a weird mix between getting into a time machine and looking into a mirror. There were still feelings that I had towards the end of high school that jived really well with this album. But at the same time, it did take me back to like a couple of years ago where I was certainly less confident and sure of myself and knew who I was and... I was reminded of those feelings and such. So while I didn't have the same relationship with it as you did, I certainly was able to connect both my present and my past at the time of listening to it. And I mean, this is still one of those albums that I, if I ever need like a big old dose of nostalgia, you you slap this baby on and it'll go straight, <laughs> you know, it'll trigger those endorphins and be like, ah, remember summer of senior year when possibilities were endless? <laughs> Which I, I'm, I'm pretty sure we have very different, <laughs> we have very different uh, experiences in that department. But I guess no. that's another story for another time. Yeah, no, I, I think all of that is is really well said. That idea of both looking in a mirror and and looking looking back is very true. But I think with that, maybe it's high time we start looking at these songs. All right, let's let's drop the needle. If winter ends. I love this song. I love it so much. And it's not just because it's very simple and it's easy for me to play on guitar. (laughs) I love it for a multitude of reasons. I I guess starting off with maybe some of uh, some of why that is, you know, like the wordplay is very simple, but I think it's also really memorable throughout it. He strings along hot and cold, like literally right in the beginning. Fever, cold, winter, heat, frozen, burned. These are the words in the song that he used. And I think it it speaks a lot to, again, that theme of you have these things pulling you in different directions. Like you want to go out on a limb for love, but like what if you get hurt? So you have these things that pull you back and forth, especially in your teenage years, which is all about finding your identity or, you know, if you're 28 and still trying to find your identity, <laughs> too, like, that's cool. And maybe the song still speaks to you. Yeah, not really sure. But, you know, I, I think that's why this does such a great job of opening up the record. Yeah, I think this one sets the I, I think one of the other reasons that this really is kind of like the first Bright Eyes album, right? Like apart from a collection of songs is it does set the expectation and the standard of simple as it might be 
the vignette opening. Mm-hmm. It starts with the static hum of recording and bashing. And uh, this is a word I'm going to use throughout this episode. It's just cacophonous. Mm-hmm. There's lots of loud extra noises. And it it sets up the story, essentially. You put it perfectly like there's this hot and cold tug and pull kind of thing going on in this song. And if you could condense the album down to one song, this might be it. Just because yeah, it's super simple, but it gets across all the ideas that are going to go into further detail later in the album. Yeah. Well, Well, one thing I wanted to throw in there too about like the Bright Eyes intro it's chaotic. There's an undecipherable mess of sounds, but you hear like children screaming and you hear like that, the loud electronic mechanical, whatever, like sounds that start kind of getting more aggressive. And then it yields into Connor and the guitar. So it's almost like all of the noise, all of the BS in his life that basically created the music that you're about to listen to and this person. Yeah, totally. And in addition to the the noise and like that, you know, all the chaos that we're going to hear about later in the album not only creates this music, you get the idea too that this is almost like a bubble. Going into the basement to write these songs is the the retreat. A right. way to make order out of the chaos, even if it's not necessarily something happy or something that you would want to have happened to you or to talk about, it definitely follows that idea of art being cathartic. But for the artist, I mean. like Right, right. It's cathartic for us. I, I, for the listener too, yeah. Oh, absolutely. But I think everyone has had that experience of, even if you're not a writer, even if you don't think that you're a writer, everybody is to some extent. Everybody's done the like, oh, write the angry pissed off letter and then throw it away. <laughs> right, you right. Know, or burn it or like, that's the catharsis. And Connor was like, no, let's put it on a tape and sell it. <laughs> <laughs> It'll sell like hotcakes. Hot, sell like hotcakes. One day, some some poor saps are going to break into my parents' basement and start a podcast about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, I think what I love about the song is, is the ending. That it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Mm. It's going to be all right. Yeah, it's you worry too much, kid. It's going to be all, and it feels contrived because. When you're in that position, it almost sounds like the ramblings of someone in the middle of a breakdown, like, okay, you know, deep breaths, it's going to be all right, it's going to be all right. But it could also be your friend that's like, oh, man, don't worry about it, everything's going to be fine. You're like, no, like, there's something real happening here, you know, so you could read it either way. But it feels almost like he's trying to convince himself of it. And then it leads into the rest of the album to to try to navigate that yeah and and i think like um there's that really important line and say and lie to me and say Mm -hmm. there's almost like there's this desire to be like it's not okay i just need somebody to tell me it's going to be okay right and i think that definitely there's escapism there and we'll see throughout this album and the rest of the discography that this is achieved many ways, whether it's through like uh, relationships, like sex or substance abuse. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that desire to be lied to one way or the other. It's it's a nice thought, right? It's comforting to go to a friend, a confidant and be like, you know, I'm going to say some shit and you can give it to me. Real talk. But 
just before we get there, just just lie and tell me everything's going to be okay. Yeah. And then we'll rip the Band-Aid off later. A, a PSA for anybody whose friend vents to them. You might want to ask ahead of time, are you looking for advice or are you just looking for comfort? Because <laughs> people want different things at different times. Not saying specific about this album. It'll do wonders for your personal relationships. That's that's a little that's a little piece of advice for me. But yeah, I this does I, I think an excellent job of kicking off the record and and being this sort of first taste of who is Bright Eyes. You know who who is Connor Overs. And uh, there there is one thing I want to say about a, a particular lyric, but you get six months to adapt and you get two more to leave town. And in the event that you do adapt, we still might not want you around. And I don't really understand the specifics of the time. Like why eight months altogether is something momentous. But there's that idea of the fickleness of youth and cliques. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, you can do your best to fit in to you know, whatever environment you're in. And even if you do everything that on paper should, you know, get you with the in crowd or get you to like not be hated by your peers, you could still be hated. It can still arbitrarily, you know, people have it out for you or whatever. And I think that youthful idea of the world is after you, you've got to adapt. And even if you do, you still might be fucked. Yeah. Uh, and that was my big takeaway from, from this song. I don't know if you have any lines that you want to, uh, that meant anything to you before we, dive on to the next one i think i said it all at this start just that that hot and cold Mm, yeah so of course this leads into our second song in the record padrick my prince which for me it's not my favorite song but obviously it was an impactful enough song that it lent itself to reference on fevers and mirrors during the fake interview so obviously this became part of sort of an in-joke uh, with his friends of like dramatic songs from Connor. Yeah, I mean, um, it definitely, it was referenced in uh, other songs as well. And I think unwittingly, it sets up the, I don't know, maybe like the the later references to family tragedy, both in uh, Bright Eyes and his solo stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really have much to say outside of that either. Um, you know, it's, it does have a kind of, I'm going to say fevers and mirrors feel to it. Um, Right. Like not as much as another song that we'll be talking about, but it definitely something more somber and maybe even like a little more clean cut than a lot of the other songs. And I think that's what reminds me of fevers and mirrors. Yeah. It's definitely dubious, uh, whether this is a true event, whether this is allegory. I mean, given just the lyric in the song, like six years to go today, and we know a lot of these songs were written in 1997. And so it could have been around there. So Connor would have been 11, 12 when this happened, if of course it did happen. But either way, Patrick in the song serves as just like a vessel for loss, grief, and really kind of shame too. In the lyrics, there's quotes uh as in because he's overhearing his his mother talk about in in the song he's overhearing his mother talk about Patrick. uh so like regardless of the activating event whether it is biographical about Patrick dying or if it's some other sort of 
loss um, that he suffered, those kinds of feelings are brought up with it, within this song. Yeah, and I think those those feelings of like guilt and shame, and regardless of what it's about, that's definitely in the wheelhouse of this album. Yeah, I'm in agreement. Uh, well, I think that's really all, all we got for for Patrick. So why don't we uh, move into contrast and compare? No, no, it's seven, so it's five hours before 1998. And Here's this the is the song. The last time I. <laughs> one, two, three. One, two, three. Da, 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 da. <laughs> all right, all right. Oh, man, this, oh, all the nostalgia going into my brain right now. Yeah, why don't we just turn this into a an acapella podcast of <laughs> An acapella cover of the album. <laughs> <laughs> No one so, wants to hear that. No, I, I listen to it. I keep it on right, my MP3 right. player. Fair enough. Because I still, I'm a '90s kid. I obviously still have an MP3 player. Not all '90s kids. I do not have one. So, mm, so then, are you really a '90s kid? Ah, uh, uh, gatekeeping. The gatekeeping cast. <laughs> Join me, yeah. Jesse, and not Chris, because he doesn't belong to this club. Maybe I'm the oldest Zoomer on planet Earth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. If if we were to not look at if winter ends as like encapsulating the album, I think that contrast and compare certainly does that job. Yeah. What are what are your thoughts? Well, you know, we we kind of discussed some of those themes of like parties and things like that. We clearly were referencing this song earlier when we were talking about some of that stuff because he's at a party, he doesn't want to be there. And it follows his story, his point of view throughout it. So I guess I'm taking it as someone who feels like he wants to be around people. Uh, Like he just wants to be there, even though he doesn't want to be there. You know, he just wants to see faces, but he wishes it could be in any other context. The word I wrote down to was anhedonia, which is the loss of feeling of pleasure uh, usually accompanied with like depression or something like that. So, cause he says even practice and parties seem long. So even those things he used to enjoy, all the pleasure is gone from them. And he's just kind of going through the motions and not necessarily taking away all of the positive aspects that he used to. Yeah. I mean, uh, one, one big thing that I have in my notes was that this kind of, to me encapsulates the fatigue and exhaustion that comes with these, like with youth, and these swingy emotions. Right. Where at a certain point, you just, you know, like, I'm just, I'm done. I'm kind of tired. And I don't know about you, but when I was around this age, I would often just sort of lose a lot of steam really quickly. And maybe that's just me being an introvert, but I definitely felt older as as a kid. Like, I felt like, I don't know, the, the, the term old soul kind of like, <laughs> you know, there's that saying like, oh, if you were, if someone said you were an old soul, that was their polite way of calling you a loser. <laughs> but, but like, yeah, I felt, I felt like just kind of like I got tired really easily of like people's nonsense. Mm-hmm. And I got that feeling from this where it's just like, oh, there's only so many like raucous parties or there's only so much of this party I can take before I need to retreat to like a quieter room or some empty corner of this place. Right. Yeah. I, I know. And I do wonder too, like his, what, what is his relation to the woman in the story that he's talking to? You know, uh, she says, what's up? uh, Where you been? Is something wrong? Like, is she a friend that's concerned about him? 
Is she an ex? Maybe it's a girl that he had a crush on and she's dating someone else or, or rejected him in some way. And he's trying to play it off like everything is cool. But on the surface, you know, you, he's saying one thing, but his body language and everything else is, is telling the real story. We don't know exactly what the relation is to, but I think that's also the power of art in general is it's a mirror, right? You see what you want to see in them. Yeah, I, I also think that in addition to, like you're saying, that this is sort of like a, a Rorschach test of sorts. Like, mm-hmm. here's a situation, and then your own experience is going to kind of fill in the blanks, and you're going to see either what you want to see, or just like you're going to be kind of pulled in a certain direction of thinking. It's also, to reference back, if winter ends, I can't think about that or about her tonight. Right, yeah. And it's... I am curious that there's another song we're going to talk about later that um, references another woman, maybe. And so it, it it asks this, I'm asking this question, and I often do when I listen to this album, is this about one girl? Or is it, like you said, is there a possibility where this is a concerned friend? Is this, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a former fling and now we're just friends? Is this the crush and it's just I'm too emotionally exhausted to like even care if you're talking to me? I just want out of here. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, again, I don't know to, to what extent uh, you've had those hard uh, introvert crashes, but it's like I've definitely hit points where it was like, yo, I'm like, I don't I don't even care if this girl that I've been crushing after for so long is talking to me. She's like, I'm done. I'm tapped. You're going to have to please put a pin in that so that we can pick (laughs) up on this when my batteries are charged. Oh yeah. And you know, I think too, to, to fully talk about a little bit of this song, I kind of have to talk a a touch on Teresa and Thomas. And that's just because this song makes a reappearance at the very end of the album. Mm. Um, And, you know, I think about like, the reprise of this, like, A, why was this chosen? But also I think what's interesting is that it re- it also has no co-vocals. So in this, you have him and Neely Jenkins, who's singing uh, along with him on the album throughout the entire song. I think, you know, there are a couple of lines where it's just Connor singing. But when the reprise comes in, it's more distorted and it's just Connor throughout the entire time. So my theory as crazy it might be is, is maybe that he does care deeply for the woman in the song. Teresa and Thomas is kind of his, his love letter to her, but Mm. he chooses not to say them. You know, he says, I can't breathe with these words in my mouth. Again, various different interpretations you could take on that. You know, I've made that mistake before. So maybe at the end of the album, when it comes back, it's, it's just him all alone. Ooh, okay. And and I'm actually, I'm putting a pin in that because I want to talk about that in, in another song that we're going to get to later. Okay. Because right. I think, I Pull didn't think the about this. through, huh? Ooh, yeah. Oh, like, honestly, like that actually, like right now on the spot, just like clicked something for me right uh, now. So I'm curious to see like, once we get there, how we can tie those two things together. Because that just, Yeah. All right, so you, interesting. You know what that means, gang? You gotta you gotta stick around for the cliffhanger. Oh my god! Yeah, that's like uh, that's I'm doing. I'm pulling a Ryan Seacrest. <laughs> You're gonna find out after these commercials. After this break. After this break of talking about other songs before we get to that one. Well, until we get there, 
Let's talk about City Has Sex. I, I like this song. I think it's a lot of fun. But it, it doesn't maybe hit all of the points on some of those that we've kind of discussed that feel like they hit all those thematic elements where it's like darts on a board. This one isn't a miss. It just maybe doesn't have all of those same elements. Yeah, I agree. I think um, that you you mentioned that this was a fun song. And I think the two songs on the album that I think are the most fun are also the ones that are kind of of the least consequence. Mm. I think this, along with Pull My Hair, are like <laughs> yeah. the, the, the real fun ones. You know, I think its place in the album is kind of some some levity of even like the most upbeat songs that aren't these two can be bummers. Or yeah. can, like, it has that melancholy. And this, as much as it doesn't, in my opinion, and I think in yours as well, doesn't hit like those themes and motifs, it definitely at least hits the feeling of a youthful abandon, where it's mm-hmm. just like, we're kind of going wild. And for right now, there don't seem to be consequences. Yeah, and I, it's not like I don't skip this song. Actually, I, I really do enjoy it. Uh, and I, there there are definitely some some good lyrics in here that, that are really hidden. I, I mean, look, part of the lyrics say, the tapist will cover the words that he sings. It's better to bear your sadness. But like, it's almost like this song buries some of that because you're just like bopping back and forth because it's garage band punky rocky with a literal breakdown in the middle of it maybe not (laughs) like your standard metal breakdown which i love i I don't know it's so different something that you don't really get to hear on other bright eyes albums actually feels like something that fits more with his time in desaparecidos than it does in any other future bright eyes album (laughs) Oh yeah, with, without a doubt. It, it, with uh, the exception of like maybe some odd, like I'm going to yell this one line. Oh or, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. something like that. Yeah, you really see like the heart on your sleeve reserved mostly for Desaparecidos. Yeah, I guess uh, one thing that we're probably going to mention later on that I guess we should point out too is the, uh, but the sadness just sleeps and it stays in my spine for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A quick line. There is an urban legend or like a common misunderstood thing. And who knows, maybe I'm misunderstanding the fact that it's a misunderstood fact. Like if you take certain hallucinogenics, they are like trapped in your spinal cord and you can trip later in life, even when you're not taking drugs, which I think that's the the idea of tripping out like uh, like aftershock, right? Like a, like if it's an earth, as if it's an earthquake or something, I think that's correct. But I think the where it is, it might be incorrect, but either way, it's this reference to like to to drug use, to substance abuse, and that is going to recur not only in the rest of this album. It's going to happen throughout Bright Eyes discography. So it's worth mentioning like this sadness as a drug, or like these emotions as drugs. Kind of is another one of those motifs that's going to be here and throughout the rest of Bright Eyes. Right. I guess the the last thing I want to maybe mention. Mm. Uh, about this is the the final lines really it swells and decays so what is the point why try to fight what is now so certain the truth's all i am is a passing event that will be forgotten so kind of going back to the fireworks to these blips the however brief uh it was beautiful i i think it again just kind of ties back into maybe feeling small and trying to burn bright because at the end of the day we're we're people 
We're individuals and we're a blip in the existence of the entire universe. Yeah, I, I, a fun song, but really interested to talk about the next one. <laughs> All right, so I think our next track up is uh, The Difference in the Shades. I listed this as one of my favorites of the album, if not my favorite track off the album. Just as like a kind of a personal aside, this song is nostalgia boiled to its essentials for me personally. Interesting. Yeah, just just something about it is uh, very reminiscent of like that melancholy of adolescence and we're gonna go deeper into like some of our favorite well i mean my favorite lines of the song but just that idea of being young having so much to look forward to and kind of looking at what the future has to hold for you but with the lens of like oh remember back when or remember that one glorious time when you're still kind of too young to have nostalgia for many things and then now as an older person looking back at that it's it's been quite a trip yeah so i think when we were talking about this beforehand and like you kind of saw my notes we kind of had a little bit of different readings for this song like the first thing that i wrote was that this song is just depressing uh to me and i i think what does that when looking at the the first chorus so And I find that life is easier when it's just a blur with no details to confuse who or what or where I was. So when the ending comes, the full regret will seem obscure. So I guess the way that I kind of took that and the way I read that was this person who wishes that they could just skip, right? Go forward, leave all this BS behind and just kind of fast forward to where they're happy, this idyllic lifestyle that they think that they're going to have in the future. But in doing so, you kind of lose all of the other context of everything else, which is seemingly what what they want, just based on this course. Life is easier when it's just a blur. That speaks to sometimes how music is a mirror, right? Art is a mirror. And you, you see yourself in the music, because that's a thought that I've had. Like click and Adam Sandler, I want to hit the fast forward button. <laughs> I know obviously that's a cautionary tale, right? But like I hit the fast forward button and I'm like 60 and chilling and like I've had it all figured out because me on autopilot did that. Whereas I don't know if me living in the simulation would actually figure that out. Maybe we didn't have like the stereotypical teenage high school experience, but it is also interesting to note that like w- when we view the song through the lens of the album, which is like the living nightmare that is partying as a teenager, there could also be something to be said for like the blur being under the influence of something. Yeah. And so like interesting. if click is a cautionary tale, then uh, it's don't do drugs kids. I have we sorry have we lost all credibility now comparing Connor Ober's lyrics to Click? No, I think we might have achieved like some new branch of like uh, lit theory discourse. Okay, like, yeah, where this could be our shtick, <laughs> like how Freud had his like, oh, everything is is the Oedipus myth. Like right, maybe right. this will be like, oh, we can just we're always going to circle about around to like Adam Sandler's oeuvre. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, this is really reminding me of 51st Dates, I've got to say. 
but this you know covering up what's going on in the the present kind of i don't know forces that nostalgia to happen right now and so when you've got like the the beer goggles on and you can pick and choose what you're perceiving at the moment that's kind of how nostalgia functions you don't you know, you either remember the most awful version of what happened or you remember a really nice version of what happened. Uh, it's very rare that we have like a realistic memory of something that happened, which is like lukewarm of like, eh, yeah, some good stuff, some bad stuff. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting to look at this from the lens of how memories fade just due to just due to the, the due to the inevitability of it, right? That you grow up and those feelings stay. You you kind of remember the the vague feelings that you had, but the specifics they they go away and they blur. And there's that nostalgia factor. I, yeah, I think that's an interesting way. It's it's just a different reading uh, than than what I got out of it because you know looking at the what I'd say is like almost the climax of this song. This TV's old. The colors fucked. You see the difference in the shades but the green's still close to green, et cetera, et cetera. Like I had the similar thought, right? It's he's recounting his time with someone that he loves and how those images and memories fade and distort over time. But I looked at it more in the negative route of that pain that you can't go back there. No matter how hard you try, how hard you wish, time pulls you forward and you just have to let go. And there's, something sad about that. But I think that's the beauty in having the the different ways of reading the same piece of text. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not that I disagree with you. I just think that's the function of nostalgia there, which is like the, the cliched way of thinking of nostalgia is the pain of going home or like the longing of, of that, which you can't have again. Mm-hmm. there's that yes you have to acknowledge that it's gone forever but there's still that like there's something in the joy of longing for it which is kind of perverse in a way but yeah we we kind of we arrived at different places but took the same road i guess yeah yeah i guess i don't know i unless you have anything else i i'm personally ready to talk about touch oh uh, yeah let's do it all right well, bar none, this is my favorite song on the album. If Winter Ends is great, but for me, Touch is a head above. The entire song is kind of like a build up to that loud cacophonous closing. It's a catharsis both sonically, because you have that build up and release, but also lyrically too, uh, which is obviously very intentional because you, you want to reach your emotional peak at the same time that the music is. But I think what hits me so hard about this song is just how vivid of a description it is. It feels like I'm living there again. But the song brings me back to a time and a place, which I think is what makes our favorite songs our favorite. They're transcendental. You know, you can be sitting at home, you can be sitting on a bus or at work, but that song comes on. And all of a sudden, you're back in your room, 15 years old, or you're back in front of, uh, I'm, I'm, try- I'm thinking of like movie cliches, you know, you're back in front of the doorstep when she closed the door. 
And it was all over <laughs> after that, you, you know, but that's, that's what the good music does to us. It, it brings us back to those places. I think we both had similar responses to both. Like for me, it was difference in the shade and, uh, and for you as touch. And I think your preferred song definitely touches on that. Like if, if the difference in the shades had its build up with the lines about dancing in the apartment, the, you know, final stanzas of touch are certainly, as you put it, way more cacophonous. Mm-hmm. And I think that that more clearly reflects the turbulence of adolescence than touch does. And I totally see why. I mean, I don't know if you want to get into it now, but like, is there a particular, even if you don't want to be specific with places or names, like, is there a particular place that you're brought back to when you hear the song? Or is it more just the feeling of high school days? It's it's more the feeling. And I think it, it's the certain lines that come through that bring me to just like this vagueness of youth rather than like the, a specific event, right? Which is kind of what you're asking. So the couple of lines that come through, first one I want to pull out is hope and less. This I think is very deceptively a beautiful, brilliant line, right? So the line is, as hope and less collide. And there, there is that literal hope and less, okay, combines into hopeless. But what I think amazes me is that that's subtraction. When you combine something and something less than, it becomes subtraction. So what Connor, I think, describes here is that feeling of hope and then whatever events or whatever feelings sullied this feeling of hope that he had is what constitutes the less. And he's left now hopeless after that. I, it's like I said, I think it's such a, a simple line, but it's deceptively uh, really, really beautiful. We we had uh, spoken a little bit about this before, like trying to puzzle out uh, the meaning of this line. And you're right, like, there's so much to unpack. Like you say, at first, it seems like kind of just a play on words. Like, oh, let's see if we can do something clever with hopeless. But if you'll stick with my pie in the sky theory here. Okay. I, I'm going to say, like, the hope is the the idealized version of whatever the speaker was expecting from whatever situation this is, be it, like, a party or a love interest or both, uh, depending on where in the story this takes place of like teenage partying of the album. Right. And right. then the less is the the reality of the situation. Okay. The, kind of like the letdown of like, oh, I was kind of building up for this perfect moment. And, you know, we would we would talk and I would have all the right words and things would just go smoothly and exactly how I wanted it to go. Then there's the reality, which is maybe something closer to contrast and compare. Right. Where like, mm-hmm. uh, this isn't working out. I kind of just want to be alone. And even when I get to a point where I'm talking to somebody, there's less than what I was hoping to happen here. And then that lets, right. that goes on to like letdowns and feeling hopeless. Uh, so there's my like overly analytical uh, English major take on <laughs> this one simple line. And uh, I, and he wrote it when he was like 17. There 18, you go. However old. <laughs> It, 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 I, it's just amazing. 
The other the other part too that I, I wanted to pull out, and really I guess the the last point that I have about touch, and, and this speaks more to your question of like where does it bring you back to? So in that same part where he's yelling and hope and less collide, there's vocals that are layered underneath it that you can hear that he's saying something, but you can't necessarily hear the specifics. But it's printed in the lyric book. Uh, so I'm going to read that real quick. You are new and near now to someone you used to love when you were young, when all was gold and you two touched and felt the flutter underneath your skin. You stood in glowing rooms, the light dripping from both of you, and nothing since has felt as radiant or real. And I'd argue that these are maybe the most beautiful lyrics, uh, biased because it's my favorite song, <laughs> on this album. <laughs> uh, you know, And it's obscured by Connor's screams about the painful aftermath of the situation. And I think there's meaning there that his feelings are now being overshadowed and distorted and distorting rather the love that he once had. The TV's old, the color's fucked. Do you see the difference in the shades? Like that it ties into how I read difference in the shades. Cause now all that he wants is to go back. There is that one night that he could really feel. And I don't, that's it. (laughs) That's, that's all I got, man. Part of me wanted to bring it up when we were talking about uh, difference in the shades, but I, I let it go because it's like ah, let's. I don't want to. I don't want to flex too much on the the English major thing here. But <laughs> um, this whole like gold and green thing, yeah, it feels very much like it's taken from Robert Frost's uh, poem "Nothing Gold Can Stay," which essentially okay. is about being green is like the golden hour of youth and nature. But mm-hmm. eventually, you know, you can't stay green forever. It's got to to like kind of wither away and fade. And so in both touch and difference in the shades, you've got the idea of like, you were golden and you were like, it's this perfect moment, but you'll never get it again. Right. And the green is still close to green in our memories. And hopefully we'll stay that way in our memories. We know we can't stay golden like this forever, but we'll remember it this way. And for better or worse, right? Because in touch, Mm -hmm. it's very much like almost a disappointment. Like we can't go back to this beautiful state of being that we've lost simply because it got away from us. If if I'm interpreting that right. No, I I think that makes a lot of sense. That's interesting. Um, but, you know, Connor does also mention it on um, I'll Be Grateful for This Day as well. We'll be golden, green, and true. But that's that's a topic for a different <laughs> different podcast. <laughs> that's another um, episode. That's another episode. But, yeah, he, he uses that phrase a lot in this album and clearly down the line to describe a certain, uh, certain moment or kind of a universality, I guess which which is it's really cool uh there you go that's that degree coming to use now jesse <laughs> you know when all wasn't, you've got is an english yet, major but... all you got is an english degree everything looks like a nail i mean what wait what <laughs> i'm pretty sure that's how it goes that's the expression i went to that's, word school so that's a that's a pretty prestigious one <laughs> all right well um i guess why don't you take us in june on the west coast All right, so we're going to slow down a little bit. 
gonna gonna make it a little more mellow with June on the West Coast, which is the next track. And I think it's a good little break from the cacophony. Whereas we've got those uh, three tracks in a row, City Has Sex, Difference in the Shade, Touch, all very noisy tracks. And then we've got something way more mellow and acoustic. Yeah. I don't really have too much to say about it other than it's, I don't, it's, it's really sweet. It's really nice. It's kind of like a gentler version of all of the things kind of being discussed in the other tracks, just with a little more kindness and calmness. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty singer songwriter type song. Like it's, it's something that I think could show up within a playlist, including Lua and first day of my life. And, you know, those kinds Mm -hmm. of like, kind of like sweeter, softer, you know, it actually kind of reminds me of the music around the time of, let's say the moldy peaches. Um, But like that kind of indie singer songwriter, because it is literally just him and his guitar throughout the track too. So there's something reminiscent of that, just kind of like, nodding your head back and forth and and swinging your feet and just kind of like, okay, you know, this is, this is sweet. This is nice. But yeah, it it fits those themes of the album of, of love and and hope and and those sorts of things. Yeah. I I would think of this as like a very, I don't know. I always get like the image of a sunset thinking about the song. Yeah. Yeah. Same here actually. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's nice. I think it's placed really nicely in the album too. If we are going to kind of like shoehorn this into the story of what's going on, this could almost be a reflection in the middle of the party. Or maybe like if we're going to do a cut between like we're moving from the winter half of the album and we're moving more towards summer. And we can see this as a springtime, right? Like I think maybe Difference in the Shades, Touch and June on the West Coast. We're moving from winter through spring and summer is beginning. And, and I mean, too, like he says it in the song, went to San Diego, the birthplace of the mm. summer. So this is this is the tail end of springtime. You know, his, his heart is thawing and he's he's getting ready for uh, the cold, the winter set summertime. heart is getting getting ready for the summer of love, baby, because <laughs> our, our boys is about to get laid, huh? This is the perfect transition into beautiful, the next song. Beautiful transition, that, right? Right. I'm high-fiving you through the microphone. Pull pull my hair. Yeah. Um it is I I really do enjoy the song in the same way like City of Sex. It's a bop, yeah. honestly. I I think the absurdity of like this kinky so uh, he's got you've got the whip. Oh my god, I forgot about like, the whip. Yeah. I love it's it. So good. Kind of an aside that's not directly related to the theme of the song because it, it's it's the wrong interpretation of it. But okay. when I was in college, I was li- and I was listening to this album. I this is when I kind of like fell in love with this song because I, I really do enjoy it. I was switching to a math major mm-hmm. to music. And literally the song goes, it'll feel more like a song and less like it's math, which obviously is more like it'll be less calculated and more passionate. Right. But like the the literal translation of it, I was like, yeah, you know what? It is going to be more like a song and less like math because screw this major. I'll make music, <laughs> baby. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Yeah. 
Yeah, like you said, this uh, the song is a bop, and uh, of the of the two like air quotes fun songs, uh, "Pull My Hair" is my uh, favorite of the two. And I don't know, maybe this is like TMI, but I think this kind of encapsulates if you're ever in a new relationship and like you're kind of moving through the the steps of the relationship and not to not to make make it uncomfortable but it's like there gets to be this point where like there is a hunger to it like you know you just start to crave like there's got to be another step there's got to be more that we can do and i think it like it's the perfect like teenagers understanding and explanation of those feelings Mm -hmm. but i don't think that you really go beyond that in in life i think there's nothing wrong with lust every now and again and as long as you're in like a consensual relationship like these are feelings you're always gonna have yeah it's absolutely like lust lust is the perfect word lust is is definitely part of especially in the beginning because I mean, it starts off with that: is the passion still gone, or is it new, still newly wed, and that kind of um, broad desire for this other person in a very primal, carnal kind of way? But yeah, it, it's it definitely still fits with a lot of those. Uh, this is a teenager making a an album about teen his teenage life, really, um, and it, it fits very neatly in the track list uh, for it. Yeah, agreed. That leads us to uh, the penultimate track of the album. And so this is kind of a mouthful, but we've got a poetic retelling of an unfortunate seduction. It's a mouthful. It is. It is a mouthful. It's it's not quite a Panic at the Disco title <laughs> <laughs> or a Fall Out Boy title, but it's it, it, it contends. So I kind of want to dive into this one because I have a crackpot theory that I want to I want to float by your way. Okay, I do too. So, all right, all right, cool, 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 cool. So I'm going to start by saying I had once either read or seen an interview where, uh, and this is all in the haze of memory, so I can be completely wrong here. Uh, uh, an interview with Connor Roberts where he said that like as a kid, especially when doing, when he was part of Bright Eyes and doing music and such, Mm -hmm. that he would hang out with older kids. Like when he was in high school, he was hanging out with, uh, with college kids. Okay. And so I'm not insinuating anything about Connor Oberst's personal life, but throughout Bright Eyes and Connor's uh, solo work, there is this idea of like the older woman of being with somebody more experienced or more worldly mm-hmm. and then being put in the place of like the naive, you're a beautiful boy, you're a sweet little kid, <laughs> right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And so I personally think that this is the first instance that we get of that character and that character arc. We had mentioned in previous tracks that we didn't know whether there is one girl who is the focus of attention of this album. But I'm going to say that the girl who is mentioned in uh, Contrast and Compare, the girl who's either a friend or a crush or love interest or something, Mm -hmm. that's the main focus. She's kind of the one that he's really crushing on and and is chasing after. Okay. But I think there's another woman or girl who reads to me as older in this song who takes advantage 
of a drunken kind of love-struck crazy boy at a party. You're both drunk you're, and you both kind of make a mistake, but there's still kind of a, a, a differential because she's a little bit older. He's a little bit more naive. Yeah, exactly. Right. And w- uh, experience plays into it too. Right. Like, the over-eagerness along with probably, uh, like you said, like drunk, it, it led to um, a very regrettable situation and an unfortunate seduction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious, what uh, my crackpot theory aside, what did you think of the song? What do you think's happening here? All right, well, I suppose I can jump into my crackpot theory too. Ooh, you go for it. So uh, this is going to tie into Teresa and Thomas as well. Uh, th- this is a, a book. Uh, th- well, there are two characters from a book uh, called The Unbearable Lightness of Being. So it follows the story of two people uh, named Teresa and Thomas, if you couldn't gather, uh, where Thomas is, and they're they're married, but Thomas is adulterous. So he is stepping out on Teresa, and it's a well-known secret. She internalizes this. She doesn't like speak out against it, and she takes it as her being weak. Uh, versus like bad behavior from her husband. So in my reading of Teresa and Thomas, I actually kind of retconned and went back and was like, okay, well, what what do I think about poetic retelling now? And think maybe this is about Thomas's realization that his adulterous lifestyle will no longer work out because in the book at the end, he realizes Teresa is his source of happiness. It's, it's the one thing that will keep him going. So maybe poetic retelling is Thomas having this one last encounter that freaking hits the light switch in his brain. He's like, wait a second, what I'm doing is wrong. I don't want this anymore. I know who I want. I know where my happiness is. And that's with Teresa. So whereas like I generally try to, I, I generally seem to focus more on Connor's like personal stuff and you tend to look at it literary. We're kind of flipping sides here. Right. And I'm, I'm, looking, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm looking a little bit more of like, okay, well following the, the, the characters in this story. And of course it all blends together because I'm sure he's also writing this, because it resonates with him in in some way, this story. And that's why he chose these characters. Yeah, that's a really good um, like tie-in between the two songs. And I think we definitely bridged our two theories together really well. Mm-hmm. So since we're talking about both of these songs and how they play well together, I, I think we're also supported in our theories by the big air quotes, hidden track at the end of Teresa. Oh yeah. Do you want to, do you want to speak a little bit about the, 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 why this song is like 20 minutes long? (laughs) I guess I kind of mentioned it a little bit before about, um, about contrast and compare, like when we were kind of discussing that. So you have that long droning that goes on that, that buzz basically for, I honestly, a solid 20 minutes before you get the reprisal of, uh, contrasting a pair, which, you know, kind of discussed a little bit um, beforehand too. But, you know, I think the the song is beautiful. I've, I've sat there and I've listened to the entire buzzing before because it kind of like, it's, it's almost like meditation uh, the way mm-hmm. I can just like sit back and it's like this ambient droning track, which I, I love those types of uh, songs too. And feels like I'm being carried through the ocean 
um, mm. rocked by the waves. And of course it's, it's mimicked in the lyrics. And I, I think that's a, an excellent use of like how to convey the, what your lyrics say sonically. And, and to kind of tying back with poetic retelling too, it's like, this is Thomas's now after, after he realizes this mistake they're making in the book, what ends up happening is they leave Prague, they go to the countryside to live their life together and this is like his his love letter, basically, or Connor's love letter. And and you know, if, if this is Connor and he's writing, if he is Thomas in this scenario, or and he has this sexual encounter that he regrets, he writes this letter to the one that he really, really loves, which is his Teresa. And at the end of it all, maybe with the reprisal of contrast and compare, he's still alone at the end. Maybe if he is kind of putting himself in the position of Thomas, it could all kind of fit together with that. Yeah, I agree. I think the um, even though they're the last two tracks of the album and that uh, Contrast and Compare is only the third track, I think that the, the choice to make it a reprisal, air quotes hidden at the end of the album, tie that those three songs all together as a story so like you get you get the the initial contrast and compare so you're kind of being set up like what's going on Mm -hmm. and by the end of it yeah we we had said like it's it's the idea of that girl kind of like we're not sure where she stands as far as connor is concerned the character connor is concerned and now with these two songs and the reminder of what contrast and compare is about it, I don't know that that seals the deal for me as far as like I think our interpretation is is more spot on than we than we probably think yeah um, especially with um, if winter ends there's the line about I can't think about that or about her tonight mm-hmm. so it's like I, is this the thing like is um, a poetic retelling is that the thing he can't think about and is the girl from contrasting compare the her? I personally think so. That's where I'd put my money. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I I think that there, for as many people as there are who have listened to this album, I think you could find as many imp- interpretations uh, of what what each of the songs and the album as a whole means. But I think we're we're pretty well in agreement. Which I I don't think necessarily has to be the goal every time. Uh, I think it would be kind of interesting for us to like butt heads almost and be like, no, there's no way. Uh, and then just like break out in a fist fight. Um, and I think that's what the people ultimately want to see. I mean, basement dwellers, please go to your DV and art pages and, <laughs> and do fan art of Chris and I bare knuckle boxing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 I do think um, I just, my last note about Teresa and Thomas, I think it's a great way to kind of send off the album. I think you are not robbed of an experience if you choose not to listen to the ending. It almost feels like at the end of a movie, if you don't stay past the credits and see the thing, it's like a wink, it's a nod. It's like a, hey, for you, the diehard, hear this. Mm. But I don't think it detracts from the statement it makes as a whole. Um, Especially too, I mean, given the context of, of 1998, this came out on CD and vinyl. Uh, so if you're listening on vinyl, 
you absolutely have to try real hard to catch it unless you listen to the whole thing. And CD, it's a little easier because you can kind of hold the button and scrub through, but still you have to be searching for it. It's not like today where you just click a button and you skip forward 15 minutes and you're like, oh, hey, look, it's the reprisal. Yeah, th- there's also like, uh, we had we had spoken about this before, where like if you if you bring up the song in like your music player on your computer you see exactly how long it is mm-hmm. and that already raises a red flag. Yeah. But if you pop the CD into your Walkman or your Hi-Fi or something, it's like the next track plays and I don't think it's the norm for a track to count down. Like uh, it starts from zero, zero, colon, zero, zero, and then goes up. Oh, right, right, from right. there. Yeah. It doesn't like start... Uh, 25, like count down. 11, down. Right, down. yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think it was a little easier for you to to get the magic of like if you really stuck around and waited or you scrubbed through or you you perfectly put the needle right where you thought something was going to be. There was more of a reward <laughs> where it's kind of easy to like you, there's no such thing as a hidden track anymore. I don't think. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, it's it's a great record. I, I do. I do love it. Um I'm not sure specifically where it ranks among like all the bright eyes releases. It's, it's kind of not what I'm looking to do either because I'm, I'm not a good ranker because I'm going to say, Oh, Oh, they're all, all good. Uh, that that's, that's kind of me when it comes to these kinds of records. Uh, Hell dude, we talked about it all. Um, it was a beautiful ride and we are now sailing away into uh into an outro so jesse i guess uh as as we wrap up here your last thoughts on on the album or maybe any other like pieces or nuggets that maybe got left out from any of the previous songs i think that we covered all of our bases as far as what we wanted to say and um I just think that uh, one of the themes that I see in a lot of Bright Eyes and and Connor albums is that usually the album ends on a positive note, if not a ambiguous or ambivalent one. Hmm. So as much as uh, there could be some bummer tracks and bummer ideas, Connor's usually good at leaving us off on a high note. (laughs) And I think think that Teresa and Thomas, as much as it's a somber song, it definitely doesn't leave us on on a bummer. Right. Yeah, I I think that's um I'd, I'd be curious actually and and obviously we can save that for the albums when we talk about them, but I I'd definitely be curious to kind of look at that and see like, oh yeah, you know, maybe I'll agree or maybe I'll just come back and say everything you thought was wrong and then the kids will get that fist fight. Uh <laughs> um Sunday, Sunday, <laughs> Sunday. Watch Jesse and Chris duke it out in the ring. Six viewers. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, for me, this album is really like no other, I think, in the Bright Eyes discography. There are songs that hint on where things will go on Mm. Fevers and Mirrors, and you do have Every Day and Every Night, which is like a bridge between those two things. Um, But this sort of like aggressive, unpolished and raw album stands pretty unique uh, amongst it all. I I think part of it, too, is because it seems more singer-songwriter, like more... Hey guys, I've written these songs. Can you come by and record the drums? Can you can you help me make this make this vision? Whereas I think with Fevers and Mirrors and everything else that follows, it felt more like Mike and Connor are conceptualizing these. 
and this is a band and we're going to make us an album as a band if that distinction makes sense no absolutely and and you put it really well in ways that i couldn't and i i agree with you it definitely this has that feel of uh this has more of connor's fingerprints on it than uh later works that you know later bright eyes works i should say i would give it five basements out of five yeah i definitely 80 percent humidity and a whole lot of mildew and mold oh my goodness that's that's uh a basement dwellers as you know our tried and true ranking system for both of us that we've been using this entire time you of course remember wow we really ranked this one high wow yeah it's wow wow absolutely beautiful wow Wow. (laughs) uh well you know we appreciate all those who uh who hung out and and stuck with us uh through this kind of journey yeah i had a really great time i had a, a fun time breaking it apart with you and uh, and sharing it with with all of our dear friends. Well, that's all I got, buddy. Until next time. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of Connor's Basement. We hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. If you did, you know the drill. Subscribe to the podcast on whichever app you prefer. Check us out over on Twitter and Instagram at Connor's Basement. And of course, big shout out to Goldie, Mom, and Lad for their contribution so far to the Patreon. That's it, and we'll see you for the next episode.